Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Welcome to Groundhog Minute the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Sean. And I'm your host, Dave. And joining us today, again, we have Scott and Forrest of Astonishing Legends. Welcome. Uh, thank you. It's great to be here. We're, uh, we're, we're glad to come back. <laughs> we're ready to, ready to do this. I have a lot to say about this minute, so I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we're at, uh, at minute 82, and uh, it's... Uh, it's going to be less of a bummer, I think, than at eighty-one. <laughs> Not that it was a, uh, that much of a bummer, but it, it does deal with. Yeah, that. we we do hope this is a more, we'll say, lively minute. But so so, Dave, give us the summary. Who's who's dying today? What's going? Oh, on? Good. no, well, I no. think we're I think we're okay. All right, okay. And minute eighty-two, Phil impresses the other newscasters and townsfolk with his broadcast. Uh, he would like nothing better than to spend a long winter with them. Afterwards, Rita asks him for coffee, but Phil says he needs to run some errands. <laughs> errands? What, what errands? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So uh, I just want to say, so this is, uh, by, this is the last day. This is the last Groundhog Day of the movie. Welcome. Um, uh, yeah, so welcome, listeners. You made it to the end. Obviously, we've got, there's a few more days of the podcast left, but at least in terms of um, our 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 march to gobbler's knob and so forth. This is our, our last time, our last swing through. And, and by my count, I have us at 35 days that we've seen. Yeah. You guys counted out, um, you guys counted out how many days he, at least in the movie that he's been, uh, reliving. Uh, and, and you may have discussed this before in the show, but is there are theories that it, it's, it's maybe thousands of days. Yeah. That was, I feel like there's an implication of that. And I feel like this, cause for all the stuff we're not seeing, like, for for example, his familiarity with Chekhov, which I think it's safe to assume he's picked up since he's been trapped in this day mm-hmm. as opposed to prior to him getting there. Uh, we're not we're not watching him study Chekhov, right? I don't remember. I remember he, him doing some reading, but I can't. That's yeah, the French poetry. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> to, French just poetry. Just to impress uh, Rita. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I, I, I feel like, especially with regard to all the ancillary knowledge that he has throughout the movie – that this there's part of a clear implication here that it's just over and over and over and over ad infinitum and that's where he's getting the time to it's like going to prison and having a life sentence you can just sit in your cell and yeah. get, get five or six degrees right I mean it's but what's what's the uh, no Scott was telling me before uh, we even talked about this that there's some people. Some people have calculated maybe hundreds of years or something crazy. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of different things, and we've we've touched on it, but we haven't really got into it because it involves a lot of assumptions, and I think a lot of them start off with that right. The um, the the kind of Gladwell ten thousand hours. You know, how long does it take to be an expert? And then <laughs> you see, all right, so we see Phil playing very excellent piano you know at the end at the, the groundhog ball he's great right. mm-hmm. and i think we see i think we we see two maybe three piano lessons when he's not very good so obviously there's right. there's a That's lot right. of piano playing that we don't see there's a lot of practice with you know chainsaw and making ice sculptures you know, I, I don't think, yeah, that's another thing that I don't think Phil brought to Punxsutawney along with a, an in-depth knowledge of Chekhov. So there's a lot of days we don't see. And then 
there's things that Phil references when there's the scene that he's going to see Heidi or Heidi too with with a date, and he says, oh, "I've I've, right. I've seen this movie a hundred times," and I yeah, I kind of right. take that to be literal, like that he's he's yeah. you know yeah. yeah and and maybe not a hundred days. I guess there's there's probably like an early show and a late show. Maybe he's seen it more than once a day. <laughs> but, you know, I take squeeze in a matinee. Yeah. So I take yeah. that to mean you know he's. Yeah, he's he's seen Heidi to a hundred times. There's there was a span of six months where he just sat in bed and practiced, uh, you know, tossing playing cards into a hat kind of thing. Right. So obviously there are a lot of days we haven't seen. A, a, a Harold Ramis has said that his original idea was ten years was sort of the time frame he had wow. in mind, which is which is yeah. which is pretty long. And there's a, there's a lot of different sort of calculations online and, and yeah a lot of them get into the the thousands of years the or tens of thousands of years that he must have gone through for for all these different days and i've i've kind of avoided those just again because there's a lot of assumptions that go into it and we can you can go back and forth on you know is is you know in the end is Phil an expert piano player well we've seen him play two songs and how long would it take you right. to just learn, literally just learn two songs? Like you can't do a scale or a chord or anything else. You just know <laughs> these two songs that you've learned by rote. How long would that take? And, yeah. and and that's not quite the same as being an expert concert pianist or, or you know, someone who can play anything kind of thing. And my, my assumptions, and I said, I know, don't let's not make assumptions, but I think – the the two things that I always like to point out when we when we start going down these rabbit holes of how long is the one is that Phil doesn't know he's in a movie about becoming a better person. So you know, for you, the right, for right. you, just far Scott, Sean, Dave, mm-hmm. you're walking around and on the day starts repeating. The first thing you're not going to think of is, oh, I should have been a better person, and the day <laughs> will continue. You you're probably well, now that we've your, seen the movie, we know. Now that we see, and that's the thing is, and I, I feel like that's what happens in all the new movies now that do the meta commentary mm-hmm. on they're saying they're in a Groundhog Day, but usually it's not about being a better person. It's about solving the crime or stopping your wife's murder, or some kind of something like that. That usually that's the hook of those movies. It's never usually like self turn turn inward and figure out why you're wrong. But yeah, I mean, like the things I would think of is yeah, it's either some kind of evil magic or it's a puzzle that I have to figure out. And I think that before right. before he's even thought about looking toward himself, he's going to think someone else is behind it. So I think he could he would investigate every single person in this town, every single house, every single toilet because he would poop in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He and he would he would so he would spend probably months just going through every inch of the town trying to figure out if there's some something that he needs to do outside of himself to to fix the day and then he starts putting it together that i should be a better person then yeah then then he could just spend then he could just spend like months just learning stuff where he's not really technically being a better person he's just becoming more of a renaissance man and then you know like let's assume he's read every book in the library or at least every poetry and philosophy book in the, the library so that would um you know and, and then maybe in every every he's read every book and music score and mrs lancaster's study so that's that's all I see it as. There's yeah, there's definitely times where he didn't become a better person. He didn't talk to anybody. He just was figuring things out. And I think that's what adds to the time. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. To, to yeah, I, I agree. I think whatever whatever calculations or count we make based on what we see and what Phil learns and 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 so forth, 
that you're we're always going to be underestimating. Yeah. Because yeah, like you said, there's going to be a period of time where he just kind of hangs out. He just walks around town, and even be, before that, the scene where he like it seems like it's an idea that's just occurring to him. He's reading a book. He's sitting in the diner, and then he's like, "Oh, there's there's music playing. There's a piano." Maybe I should go learn piano. Like, we don't know. He may have spent, on, there may have been weeks or months that he spends just working his way through the library, just reading, just to read, just to yeah. kind of, you know, this intellectual curiosity has been awakened before he starts, you know, aside from, well, let me read French poetry for Rita, or let me do research that's going to enable me to do a really good Groundhog Day speech, or let me learn how to play the piano. There's probably, yeah, months he spent just working his way through the Dewey Decimal System with no no particular aim or goal in mind. I think if I remember correctly, it's hard because this just, just, just reminded me, I think there was an episode of Early Edition when he was trying to save people on a plane. I think the plane was going to blow up, some malfunction. And I don't know if the day repeated or not, I just remember whatever he he believed. I think that's what it was. He had the newspaper in his hand, and he was trying to do all the things to stop the, the plane from blowing up. So he would look at the early edition and wouldn't say, this plane blows up. And I think he was trying to go through every logical step from it. And I don't think it's till the end of the day he he finds out that the pilot's daughter is dying in the hospital of, some, of something, and the, the father doesn't know about it or something. And it's not until... It's like it's like that. He had to like go all out. He had to take a real hard left turn and find out that the daughter was sick and that the father needed to see her. And because he left, he just ran away from the airport. They couldn't take. They could the plane. They couldn't find a pilot to take the plane off. And so he was going to get fired. But that plane actually, they went through it and they found. Oh wow, there's a bad engine in here. The plane can't take off. And that's how right. he saves the people. Right. So. What, I, what I'm trying to think of there is like when you have all these days repeating and if your day repeated every day and you couldn't figure out why. And the whole thing was is that it didn't want you to step on this one ant that you always stepped on. You didn't know it because it's, just, it's a little ant. It's insignificant. I think that to, that's that's that was Phil's thinking about himself. That's how insignificant it was. He thought, oh, well, it's everyone else's problem. Does that make sense or am I, am I rambling in, in, incoherently? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little in my head, this is making I sense. think it's a little from column A, a little from column like, B. I, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. going to go with both. I just, I, I, think I wrote this episode of, of, I like this episode of Early Edition. I was like, he was trying to save people, and he couldn't do it the logical way of like calling the airport and doing all this. They wouldn't, they, they thought he was crazy or something, or something else would get involved, and then and he had to go all he had his way. And that's for Phil. It's he, he had to go out of the way to finally realize it was him. He was, he was a problem all along. Right. That's yeah. That's a fascinating thing. Uh, so, so going back to this little speech that that Phil gives here, the the first thing that jumps out to me, uh, well, not really about the speech, but about this scene is the way everyone is around Phil. Like, there's other reporters that are instead of doing their job, they're just <sighs> holding their mics out to capture what Phil is saying. <laughs> yeah, because he's become like this Zen sort of. You know, but how, voice of reason. But how do they know? <laughs> like we would know because we've seen over time. Like he maybe maybe he's given the same checkoff speech. Going back to the question of of you know the days that we don't see. Maybe he's given this checkoff speech, this inspiring, touching, you know, oratory. Maybe he's done this twenty times already. 
Right. But none of these people will know that. None of them will remember that. How do they know beforehand that he's going to say something inspiring that they should be listening? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's a little bit of artistic license, but that as he's starting... You know, everybody kind of stops to hear what he's saying, because even Larry's, you know, comes up to him, and says, y- you touched me. You know, thank Pervert. you. And he's, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the swimsuit area, just, you know, okay, in the in heart. The heart. <laughs> he's just, you know, yes, exactly. He's, you know, and, and when has Larry ever done that before uh, where he's even, you know, he just thinks that um, – uh, something out of uh, Phil's mouth is a you know just snide sarcasm. Uh, he's actually gotten through to him with his little speech. So it's yeah, it's a little bit of uh, I guess truncating there or or shortening where uh, yeah he's just you know everyone's uh, has a cocked ear and they they want to hear what he has to say and it's just kind of nice and he's um, you know he's reaching out to the townsfolk and uh, as he says uh, you know it it, it it couldn't be a better I couldn't imagine a better fate than a long and lustrous winter. You know, he's he's kind of giving over now to the townsfolk where uh, I don't think you're all a bunch of annoying hits. I can live I can live here. And he has. So, you know, he's that's part of the acceptance of of the whole journey is to um, accept the situation you're in and not just try and take advantage of it, but make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just uh, as recently as minute 59 where Phil was in the same position where he gives the. Um, he gives a different sort of prediction. He says, uh, yeah. yeah, he says, if <laughs> right. you want a prediction about the weather, you're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. Yeah. It's going to be cold. <laughs> it's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so, where. Yeah, he's really at the at the bottom there where he's, uh, yeah. you know, he, he's tried to kill himself and it doesn't work. And just he's just, you know, he's at as he tells Rita, he's at the yeah. end. Well, I mean, forget he's about himself. That's just before he tries to kill little Phil. Um, yeah. I mean, whatever yeah. personal issues you have, you know, Phil, don't take it out on the poor innocent groundhog. But uh, so, yeah, so he's he's kind of turned around his 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 thinking on. On, yeah, life in Punxsutawney and and uh, basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts. Oh yes, he's he's laid it on. You know, he's pretty pretty syrupy. Uh, but it, you know, that's the again, that's the kind of the licenses that uh, you you've captured people's hearts and attention with just a few words. Uh, but I, I will say, uh, uh, back when he does try and kill um, <laughs> Punxsutawney Phil, it's one of the first times i'd heard of the oft now used joke of uh the car goes over the cliff and he's like well he's probably okay <laughs> he might he might be okay <laughs> it blows up like yeah probably not now great so you see that a lot now and i, I think it it has a lot to um uh you know it owes a lot to this film yeah yeah so and uh so anything about Chekhov? are you are you scott forrest are you gentlemen are you familiar with 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 anton Chekhov? Uh, yeah, the short plays, you know, we've studied and, uh, you know, I, I think in film school as well, you kind of, you kind of study them and, uh, some people have acted them out, I think, for, uh, for class and you film that, uh, you know, because again, they're, they're short and, uh, they're well done, mm-hmm. of, course, of course, but they're, um, so you, you look to those for structure on a short story or especially a short play. And, you know, so it comes up a lot. Yeah. I'm, I'm not real, uh, I haven't studied it real closely, but, uh, it's certainly his even his plays here in L.A. get redone, like the Cherry Orchard and and whatnot. But, uh, you know, just it's it's classic, um, 
classic go-to stuff, uh, literature-wise and 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 play-wise. Uh, like, for example, like in um, in a horror movie, uh, you know, you see this a lot. Uh, I think it was even done in Seven. It's coming, kind of become a cliche now, where uh, you'll see uh, somebody. You know, you go to the killer's lair, and then that he's been stunning a lot of. Um, Oof, who's the author that uh, Blake like you, you go to the you go to the killer's lair and you see that he's checked out a bunch of books on William Blake like ooh, all this dark imagery and you know yeah. hell and heaven and angels and yeah. demons and it's like it's okay so it's you know and now that's being overused uh, all the time and and here not that this is you know Chekhov's being overused but it's uh it's a good one to go to it's a good solid reference <laughs> so uh, it works for Phil. He certainly it certainly accomplished what he wanted to, which was just a you know uh, a reference to a nice little shout out to the town that uh, that warms people's hearts. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, with Rita, she's impressed genuinely with him and surprised, as she says. Uh, you know, you surprise me, and he's I surprise myself. And but he turns down that kind of an offer to go get coffee. Because well, he's got yeah. bigger, better things to do. Well, yeah, the better things though are saving the world. That's what he's he's got to go run his little errands. His yeah, world exactly. Errands. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, for the first time, it's not something done to impress Rita or or gain advantage. He's going to do it because he it makes him feel good. You know, he, he's going to go uh, he's going to go help out people. Uh, just for the sake of doing it. Yeah, I think that's that's. I think you're right. There's probably some episodes where he has. You know, he probably did do that line, and maybe some of the reporters came up to him, and he basked in the and the, how how cool it was. <laughs> but now he realized he's like, no, I'm I'm not doing it for the admiration. I'm doing it because I really, honestly, do like these people. I like this town, and I like the idea of like, yeah, other reporters are signing off, and before they sign off, like, yeah, they start hearing him talk, and like, hey, just. Just record that man over there. It's just like, and, and all of a sudden, these, <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden yeah. these other broadcasters is like, why are you putting another reporter on our our station <laughs> broadcast right now? Yeah. <laughs> why are yeah. you letting this man well, is- sign off on our station? <laughs> Exactly. Well, he is the—he's kind of the celebrity, though. I mean, he's the minor uh, as far as uh, as opposed to local uh, celebrity or, or or news person. He is regional. You know, he's, he's from the yeah, big he's city. Yeah, from Pittsburgh. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. The big so that you know, they would they would know who he was, and and uh, you know, certainly would have seen him. So it's it's like the bigger deal. Like you're going to turn to Al Roker if he's got <laughs> if he's got something to say just to get him on on camera if he's there doing a, a little weather thing for Groundhog Day, uh, maybe rather you know than your own local newscaster. We're trying to work that in, but again, that's it's just part of the scene where he's he's got to dole out a pearl of wisdom and and uh, you know impress people. But uh, uh, but you know for the first time he would have done that just to impress Rita. And and no other point, but he, uh, as we see here, he he doesn't care about that. He would have he would have been all over that uh, in the first part of the movie. Uh, you know, get, to go get coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and he's he's very he's he's humble. You know, he's he's his first first thing is well, he's so there's a couple people that kind of nice speech, very nice, and he says he says thank you, but then he turns to Larry and Reed and says, "How is that for you two? Yeah. And if you remember back to yeah. you know our first Groundhog Day, he was like, you know, drop the mic, one take, I did it, it's done, I'm I'm out of here. 
<laughs> where now he's like <laughs> right, actually, right. you know, asking, you know, their opinion. And then, you know, with, and then that the, the line, you know, I surprise myself sometimes. So he's. Well, that's that's funny. And one one note I had on here, uh, not only pertaining to Bill Murray, but also Chris Elliott, uh, because they do have that nice little ex- exchange uh, where they actually genuinely seem, you know, genuinely seem to care about what each other thinks uh, about the piece they just did, the little stand up. But knowing them as actors uh, and personalities and all the other things they've been in, I couldn't help but feel a little twinge of sarcasm from the both of them because yeah, it just because yeah. we just know bill murray that's that's you know that's his <laughs> shtick um he's even uh with, oh one thing i noticed before when they were uh, uh playing cards on the bed tossing them into the hat he gives a reference to caddyshack when he says uh you know be the yeah. card yeah <laughs> you know be the card rita so he's you know, it's it's very self-reflexive but yeah i just noticed that it's like i i rewound it because it's it's you know bill murray's kind of thing where he's he might be play acting at being sincere, but he's, you, you know, ultimately, of course, he's, he's not. He's really trying to be sincere. And then Larry say, <laughs> coming up and say, you touched me. And it's like, wait, is he, is he being sarcastic? Like, no, no, he's, he's actually touched. Uh, but yeah, just knowing them, you know, that's having to forget about their other personas uh, outside of this yeah, movie. I, I like, and actually it was hard to follow, but Larry actually does keep his eyes on Phil as he walks away. Like, there's a bunch of people that just start gathering around the Gobbler's Knob. But right, like, yeah, but right. Larry's kind of like still kind of entranced, I think, until there's a man in a, in a pipe. A man with a with a pipe walks up to Larry. I thought that was nice. And then, oh, look, and somebody else is going to ask Larry for his opinion <laughs> on the camera work. Yeah, it's just, you know, uh, and I, geez, I'm maybe misplacing the order of the scene, but uh, when they have to go identify him uh phil after he's after he's driven off the cliff and he's dead it's <laughs> larry having to force that like he was a really yeah. nice guy i really liked him a lot it just <laughs> out of out of show you know just just so he wouldn't say like yeah i'm, I'm i don't really care that he's gone he's kind of a jerk <laughs> um and, and here's a total yeah it's a total flip where he actually does uh care about him but you have to imagine it you know again uh, outside of the frame here that it's not just this speech. He's somehow been nice to Larry, uh, at, at least from the start of the day where, you know, he's um, or, or the days previous. So that's interesting how that's changed, because, yeah, I wouldn't it doesn't make sense that suddenly he just gives a speech and Larry now thinks he's a great fella, th- th- that he's been nice to him leading up to this. Well, and that and plays just, to that other point, you know, the other line that he has in this minute uh, where he says, I surprise myself sometimes. You know, yeah, he's, he's yeah, he's owning up to the the change in his own being, which you know for and it's interesting because for everybody around him, it's a sudden change, and for him, it's been this long journey. Yeah, and that and that's one of those lines that is operating on a, a couple different levels. That yeah, so in yeah, so I, I you know the the kind of the immediate sense that I referred to earlier, just kind of him being humble and. And, you know, after Rita saying how su- how uh, surprised she is. And then on another level, it's, yeah, just the, the greater change that he's witnessed. And then, but then there's also the level, it's like, well, no, we, you, we know you've probably given this speech a dozen times before. You've lived this day. Right, right. We, you know, we were just talking about, has it been 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years of the same day over and over again? Are you really surprised, Phil? Like really surprised? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, but he's but that's the I mean part of the uh, him developing is the versatility which Rita comments mm-hmm. about. She says, "I didn't know you were so versatile." Yeah. Uh, and yeah, again, if you look at you take a step back, it's like what's Phil trying to accomplish? It's it's not just sincerity. It's it's like you know it's living life and uh, to the fullest and doing different things and acquiring all these. Uh, worthwhile skills that he's that he's mm-hmm. picked up and you know music and literature and um and that goes along with being a uh, a more complete person i guess rather than just saying like you know what i'm just not going to be as sarcastic to people it's like well that's that's a nice start but you should add <laughs> add some versatility to it so uh and that's yeah again that's part of uh if he was just a nice guy she may not have been you know, as enamored at that point, but uh, but obviously she's impressed by by him knowing Chekhov and and just being a decent person. So it's kind of like this. Um, you know, it's it's again it's kind of stretching believability here. But you and you don't know in that day or that replay what has happened prior to that or how he's been kind of buttering them both up. But obviously now they they they're getting a sense that he's a deeper person than they may have been, uh, you know, first aware of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I did. That, that's why I think she invites him for coffee. Cause I think she believes, uh, maybe we got off on the wrong foot somehow <laughs> yesterday of why he was so cranky. Yeah. So she's like, all right, well, right. I'm, I was surprised. You seemed like you were really cranky yesterday now, but you seem really, yeah, you seem really excited to be here. So let's just coffee and kind of talk over. And I think, yeah, she wanted to talk over to more of like a, Okay, so I'm the producer. And you're the, the, let's have a better let's have a better business rapport now because I feel like we're starting the day off on a better foot because maybe you were cranky yesterday and that drive up didn't help. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's changed because you know in, in earlier scenes where he's uh, you know, I think taking a step back and he you know he's kind of realizing that he likes Rita and he. You know, he's kind of trying to talk to her where she's being polite, but he's like, I want to get get to know you better. She still it still seems like, you know, she's feeling a bit of insincerity from him. Like, you know, he's just making a move and she's not shutting him down completely, but she's suspicious of his motives. And uh, and yeah, he's he's doing it because he is he's interested. But it's also it's coming from a you know, he's he's trying to make a move on her in a long Mm -hmm. sense and just being uh, crafty about it. And she kind of picks up on that. And I, I made an interesting note here, or maybe my note's not that interesting, but <laughs> an interesting aspect of the movie is that uh, it it keeps coming back to, um, or I guess a sense of deja vu. When, when she's in the candy shop and she, you know, she says something about this is so familiar. You know, you ever have deja vu? And he says, like, oh, didn't you just ask me that? And And so... I, I think one theme there that you kind of have to um, keep in the back of your mind to help it make more sense is that there's some, I guess, echo or residue of these all these other experiences for everybody, not just Phil. And so when she says, man, this seems so familiar, and you go through the montages of like, you know, him trying to uh, have a drink in the hotel bar and trying to say the right thing, the looks on her face of like, God, this does seem familiar. Did you ever ask me this before? Well, she doesn't exactly remember it then, but it's kind of like deja vu mm-hmm. where it's like, there, man, there's something that is just, you know, in my soul that seems so familiar about this, but I, I can't, I don't remember it. I can't place it. And so maybe that in this scene speaks to uh, her saying, you know, again, you surprised me. 
And because why would she be surprised if if he's you know that was his persona leading up to it? He's always acted like that. There's something kind of echoing. Um, that's a change that she senses, but you know can't quite put her finger on. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that all the um, the you know what I'm saying the the backstory, all of the lives that he's repeated have also made some kind of a an imprint uh, on the rest of the people around him. And uh, and maybe that's why they you know uh, <laughs> I wonder about him you know it's like you said about the other reporters when when they're standing around I mean they got to be hearing him and maybe they don't but he's just being a jerk yeah. <laughs> just and he just looks you know he looks worse and worse and then after a while he's just you know telling them they're all hypocrites <laughs> so and and so maybe there's a sense there's like wow this, this guy's seems changed maybe we should pay attention to him I the last second of the minute did it feel like at one moment Phil wanted to lean into Rita, but then he moves away. Yeah. Like, I, I was watching it on, like, mute. Like, literally going, like, just, just looking at their body language. It's like... Yeah, I mean, I does... He definitely does that a little bit. Which, the question is, is he doing that? Was he directed to do that? Is he improvising? It, it does... But it does seem deliberate, I would say, definitely. It seems a little bit like... But, I mean, to me, it's a filmmaker's tool of, like... Okay. Well, he's he's definitely leaving here, but we don't want to we don't want to we want to make a nod to sort of the duality of his nature at this point before he walks out. Yeah. I I I see that as like these are to him, he's had so many memories with Rita that he's almost he's got to remember where he is. Oh wait, no. Like the last time she made that face was when we were like doing a date somewhere. And he's like, no, right. that, 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 right. that's right. not here. I gotta do errands. I, I can't try to get romantic here in public in front of Gobbler's Knob right now. It's I gotta worry about the bigger problems. Yeah, I mean, what, one of the things I've wondered is even the this kind of good, more enlightened Phil at the end is he still is he still doing this for Rita? Is he still on the hunt of trying to seduce her? And he's just taking a different tact where he's, well, I'm going to run around town. You know, I'm going to give this great speech and I'm going to be humble about it. And then I'm going to run around town and do all these good deeds that Rita won't even see. But then later tonight at the Groundhog Ball, all these people are going to be coming up and thanking me. And she'll see that and that'll impress her. And it's kind of a, you know, he's still trying to seduce her. He's just doing it in an indirect way to to show, you know. But so I kind of wonder at this point, yeah, he does his body language, the way he leans in certainly shows us a certain attitude that he has towards her. But then there are other things there are, you know, there there are things he does that don't come around to the groundhog ball, like the little kid that he catches out of the tree that the kid never thanks him and the kid isn't at the ball later. He isn't coming up and, and, you know, buying Phil a drink or anything like that. So the, the, you know, kind of the edge of my cynicism is taken off a little bit that we do see some thankless things that, that Phil does that there's no way they can come back around to, to impress Rita. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. uh, Because you're right. I think the, Earlier uh, in his life and and in the film, he would do these things just to impress her, to gain something, or to even get that thank you. And that when he catches the kid, he's like, you know, what do we say? What do we say? <laughs> you never thank me. And see you tomorrow. You know, that's that. Maybe. But yeah, but see, ex- exactly. So there's a lot said in that in that sentence with the kid is that 
uh, on, on different levels because he's he wouldn't have done anything without getting thank you or praise before. Uh, and, and he's kind of joking with the kid, kind of passing it on, you know, saying like, Hey, when somebody does something nice for you, you thank them, but he knows he's not going to get that ever. So he's kind of <laughs> joking with him, but that's, but it's also a realization on his part is that you don't do it for the thank you. You, you did it to, to save the kid from getting injured and you may never get a thank you, but you do it anyway. That's that's not the reason. And then also at the end of it, maybe he's realizing that man, if I just do enough good things and be a decent decent person and become a, a fuller, better person, uh, I might get to leave. So that was interesting uh, to me that he's he's getting a sense of why this is going on um, and what he has to do to get out of it. And it's not it's not killing himself or a gopher. <laughs> or I'm sorry, uh, Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah. You know, so it's not it's it's something else that uh, is not negative. It's a, it's a positive thing, and he's he's kind of realizing that now. But he still doesn't know if he'll ever come back. Like I said, it, it's it just may just go on. So uh, you think a lot of people would say like, well, why keep doing this? Well, you you do it because the benefit is in the doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we we talked earlier in the podcast in an earlier minute. Um, we were talking about the myth of, of Sisyphus and, and some of the writings that right. Camus did just on, yeah, you've got this never-ending task and you you do it and you be happy, you know, you, and, you, and yeah. you have to, you're either happy to do it, you're enthusiastic to do it. And, and sounds a lot like podcasting. <laughs> just, yeah. You know, is anyone listening? We have no idea, but we do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You, you keep going and, and it's the, the the important thing is that you did it it's out there um you know and it's it's it could be a chore of course and uh but you feel better having done it and uh, you know Scott and I talked about this when we started it's like man I don't know if there if there's 200 listeners uh we'll feel lucky you know at the end of a few years and but we felt like doing it and and it's Broke, you don't do it lucky. for yeah <laughs> you just you did it because you you wanted to that there's some there's some worth in that and not because you think you're going to get rich certainly that uh that doesn't happen uh, for for most of us so you just um you know uh you you do it because it's it feels worthwhile yeah and i think it's worth noting just just going back to the beginning of this minute and and the the, the speech that Phil gives and contemplating and thinking about the effort. Um, we know Phil is really good at, at kind of remembering his lines. We saw it early in, in the beginning, for example, Mrs. Lancaster kind of just making some morning chit chat and asking about the weather and, and spill just, and Phil just jumped into, you know, his talk from the weather report about, Oh, we've got this moisture coming up from the South and it's going to combine at high altitudes at high altitudes and form snow and everything. So we know he can, he can remember lines and, and repeat them back, but this is right. Like right. there must have been some time and, and not necessarily sitting in the library and pouring over translations of, of Chekhov, but at least assembling this speech, <laughs> this yeah. is not an off the cuff thing, no matter no matter how much talking he's done and, and how many weather reports he's given and how many times he's been back to, to Punxsutawney for, for Groundhog Days and in past years, this is not something that I think we're supposed to expect that he's just kind of riffing. This isn't off the top of his head that he's he's prepared a speech. He's assembled this talk. He's struggled over, over wording. Do I use this phrase or that phrase for... 
a speech that essentially he doesn't know if anyone's going to hear. I mean, the the people in Punxsutawney right. are going to hear it, but does it make it back to Pittsburgh? And does you know if this if this is not the last day, if this loops all over again, then no one hears it unless he's going to do this yeah. every day till the end of time. You know, yeah, he so he he literally doesn't know if anyone is going to know that this speech happened, but he does it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's 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 also like when he's uh, sitting with Rita on the bed and they're tossing the, the the playing cards. It's you know she says she has a great day and you know he's saying you know you're not going to remember this mm-hmm. and and it's in her point is it was great anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you don't do it for the permanence. I mean he's going to remember it and he he hopes that one day she will. Uh, you know, but she's in, in some weird way. Yeah, she's it'll be there again, as I said, maybe as an echo that uh, they've had they've had fun kind of like again in the snowman scene where it was organic <laughs> and fun the first time. And then when he's acting kind of manic, it's not just him. You know, she's not just reacting to him acting uh, manic is that there's something off with this that seems familiar, like he is rushing through it um, and and being disingenuous and all that. But uh you know, it's uh, yeah, it's like again, it's it's in the doing of it, uh, and you know, not being uh, not doing it for an effect. You talked about earlier about learning a, a piano piece. I actually know a guy or knew of a guy that learned a couple of uh, pieces on the piano. Didn't know anything about the piano. Just. Taught himself by rote a couple of songs so he could impress women at parties. <laughs> yeah, which is oh, it's it's not bad. It's a it's like at least you're if you're good at it, you you got the one song. But that was the extent of him learning the piano. <laughs> so it works for some people, I guess. Yeah, I I think yeah, I think at first a lot of these things he did was just yeah just for advantage. But then yeah, they turned into he started he honestly started enjoying it because he probably realized he didn't have any real hobbies and that he has all the time to develop these hobbies. And I like to think about that, but he was actually writing every night. He would write it like, um, like almost like a homily. He would write the idea about Chekhov and the weather. And he knows that he's going to, he's going to yeah. read it. He likes it. He's going to put it next to the clock and then he's going to go to bed. And the next morning, it's not going to be there next to the clock, but he believes he's memorized most of it, that he feels that I'm going to tell you the story. Then he tells a story and then he goes, you know, I didn't like that, and then he rewrites it again, and he's like, "I want to make it better. I want to, I want to, you know, and not not better yeah. for, is it not better for him, but better for the people to listen to." Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, and like what he tells Rita, it's like you can plan the perfect day. It just takes a lot of, it takes a lot of practice, <laughs> it takes a lot of work, you know. Um, and and again, that was before that was for, uh, you know, an effect to get closer to her, but. Um, you know, it's it's kind of like now he's talking about perfecting his life in a way, maybe, is that it, it takes a lot of practice, uh, but you can do all the things you want to do with some effort. Yeah. And and that and that's what kind of, I'm kind of glad we've never had an iteration of the Groundhog Day ball. So we never actually see him try to game it, try to take advantage of it. So it's kind of, it's almost, right, it's almost right. like a mm-hmm. treat, like a treat. Like now we deserve, now we are allowed to uh, look at the Groundhog ball. And maybe Phil's never been there before. Like, I like to think that he's never been there before. That he just decided today was the day he was going to make his time to go there. I don't know. But he makes... But he does... Or maybe that's what it is. He goes there but finds out that it gets kind of canceled because Buster is, like, in the hospital now. And the old ladies who are trying to get there, they don't get there because the tire's flat. And then maybe... Because there's no... When he was in the hospital, 
you do see the kid in a leg cast in the background. Yes. So, yeah. so that's where oh, I that's believe right. yeah. he also, like, he learned that. When he was at the hospital, he learned that now that I'm here, I know that this kid lays in the hospital. He doesn't deserve to be here. So I want to make sure I save him out of that tree. And, yeah, that, that right. ripple effect, you're right. Maybe that kid doesn't thank him, but it ripples into something better to make the Groundhog Day ball not, like, sad and depressing because Buster died because he choked on his own steak. <laughs> <laughs> something, exactly. something that Phil's got to now Phil now Phil knows what he needs to do. He needs to make it the best Groundhog Day ball for the town possible. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, yeah, it's a good point. Makes a lot of sense. I think it sounds like we're about we're, we're sounds like we're wrapping up on eighty two, and so we can you know t- tomorrow we'll see we'll see some of these things that that Phil has to do to make make everything come together at the end of the day, but. Uh, so, uh, anything else for for specifically for eighty two? Uh, no, I just I like I like it because it's a good uh, it's a good transition point in the movie um, where which you need. That's what everyone's waiting for. Uh, even if you just let it kind of roll over you, uh, you know, he you couldn't end the film with him still being a jerk. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everybody feels better. You know, it's like you start seeing him being a decent guy, and like it, it, it's uplifting for everybody. Yeah, we need. Yeah, exactly. We yeah. want to. We want to feel better that we can improve. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, Scott and Forrest, please let our listeners know where they can find more of you. Well, uh, Astonishing Legends is pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We're on Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, of course. We have our own website, astonishinglegends.com, and... If you Google us, you'll find some goofy pictures of Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to erase them uh, here and there, but he keeps uh, he keeps putting them up there. I'm always curious, though, and a little afraid to ask Alexa to play one of our. I, I just have no idea what what's going to come out of that speaker. Yeah, um, <laughs> but I, but apparently you can nowadays. So you could just ask uh, you can ask it to play a certain podcast, and I think it I think it just plays the last one. Oh. So. Yeah, right um, after it gets done emailing uh, private pictures of you to all your <laughs> by, old friends. By accident. And then laughs at yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Which is... yeah. Anyway, that's where yeah. you can find us. Yes. And, and, yeah, the podcast covers everything. If you want to learn about cryptids, you want to learn about Bigfoots, you want to learn about UFOs, you want to learn about ancient ruins that were found. I mean, you guys cover everything, which is great. It's There's no one thing you guys get stuck on. It's like every time, every new episode, we do a, we do something new. That it never turns into, oh, that's just the UFO episode, you know, that's the UFO show, that's just the monster show. No, it's like you guys cover everything so wide that you really, there's got to be, there's something there for to, to intrigue someone. Well, thank you. That's, we, we, we try. Yeah, yeah, thanks for saying that. Yeah, we we have a, a wide-ranging, uh, you know, uh, range of interests, uh, kind of like Phil. It's not just Chekhov. It's it's going it's to be, uh, be French literature to, uh, to uh, you know, dressing up like Clint Eastwood. <laughs> exactly yeah bronco, bronco. <laughs> exactly yeah well thank you so much guys we really appreciate it it's a lot of fun always yeah well thank you guys for for joining us and thank you listeners out there in podcast land thank you for listening and we will see you tomorrow if there is one Let them say your hair's too long.